Okay. Okay. We are recording. We are recording. Great. This is episode eight with visual artist, creativity specialist, and podcast host, me, Vania Vananina. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. So, Vanya, mm -hmm. this is your podcast. Ah! <laughs> uh, I'm your producer, Annie. Hello, listeners who haven't met me before. I wanted to do a show about you because I realized, I think we both realized, that we had jumped into this. And we had done this little intro recording, you know, to kind of telling people what the show was going to be about. But I'm sure that people out there were like, well, why? Who is Vanya? Why is she the one doing this show? And I also just think that everyone should know more about you because you are an amazing person. Oh, thank you. And you ask really good questions. And I kind of want to know more about how you got to be the curious, interested, knowledge-thirsty person that you are. So it's my turn. The tables have turned. And I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Sound good? Sounds good. I'm excited. And now I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm <laughs> I'm really excited. And it's, it's funny to be on the other side. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I feel weird asking questions and not sitting quietly in the corner. So <laughs> just imagine speaking at all. So the first thing I want to ask you is, Vanya Vananina, what do you do? I am a visual artist and a creativity specialist and now a podcast host. And what do you do in each of those things? So you're an artist. So tell me a little bit about your art. As an artist, I create art or pieces that are super colorful, highly textured, and fun. I, I make art across various mediums, but ceramics is my favorite one, and painting. So with ceramics, I get to build things, and then I get to paint them which it's called glazing in the ceramics world. But, you know, I get to decorate them. And that brings me so much joy. Just putting color and everything. What do you do as a creativity specialist? What does that mean? That means that I'm an expert in the realm of creativity. Uh, I mean, I don't know everything, but I'm a super curious human. And I like to foster an atmosphere of playfulness and a positive atmosphere. So what I do is I teach workshops or I do creative consulting with organizations or individuals that want to have a more creative practice or the want to lead a creative life. And what I do is I assess what these organizations or individuals have on their plate at the moment and what are their roles. And then I figure out ways where they can enhance uh, their performance and make it a little bit more fun. So it's not all about work, work, work and all like boring, square, gray things. But, you know, so they have... Um, playtime that mm -hmm. is vital for humans. So I facilitate workshops where I teach people how to build things with clay. And these can be planters, mugs, little bowls. Um, I teach them how to do printmaking with blocks. So it could be block making, but I, we've also used all kinds of things like corks and vegetables and found objects. In we make prints with eco-friendly inks. I teach people how to carve their own stamps and patterns and how to print them onto paper or fabric. And people end up with a set of prints or cards or a tote bag or a lovely tea towel. 
And I also facilitate creativity workshops. Well, what does that mean? That means that we make art across mediums. And then depending if it's a standalone Vanya Vananina workshop where there's all these strangers, or if it's an organization and they're looking to enhance participation or to build rapport within the team members, that informs the kinds of activities we'll do. But we do guided meditation, uh, we dance, we break things, we build things. There's a surprise building challenge with reclaimed materials. There's playing with all kinds of colorful and textural things. So that's what it means to be a creativity specialist, to bring more creativity into people's lives through different mediums in facilitating the tools and space for people to implement them. Cool. And as a podcast host, well, you I'm here every week and you listen to my voice and my silly uh, laugh and all of my questions. And it's a dream come true because it's a it's an outlet for my curiosity and for my constant craving of human connection. So, yeah, that is that is what I do. Where did you grow up? Tell me about your upbringing. I grew up in the city of Ensenada, Baja California. That is the border state with the state of California. It's in Mexico. Um, I was born and raised there. And it's a coastal town. It's on the West Coast. And the weather is very similar to San Diego or Southern California, where it's 70 year-round. It's never too cold or too hot. Every day there's this amazing sea breeze that rolls into the city. So it cools everything down and it smells like the ocean. And we have tons of fresh seafood. And we're also on a Mediterranean strip. So we have a valley where we produce wine and have all these amazing kinds of produce. We have mountains. We have desert. We have all of the things. It's an amazing place. And that's where my whole family, most of my family is. It's a, it's a really cool place to grow up. It's a small, if you go to demographics, it's a big city, but in reality, it feels like a small town where everywhere you go, you run into someone that you went to kindergarten with or your cousin's friend or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Tell me about your family. My family. My mom's name is Conchis or Connie. Um, she is a wonderful human, super creative, super curious, super nurturing, super funny <laughs> and, and silly. Um, my dad, uh, his name is Manuel. He passed away when I was six years old. Um, he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, so cancer, and he passed away from complications of cancer. And even though I've lived most of my life without him or, you know, in the physical realm, because I do feel his presence, uh, every day in my life, those six years that I spent with him were very intense and we try he traveled a lot and I was able to travel with my parents um, a lot of times um, he worked a lot but when we spent time together we made the most of our togetherness soup also super creative human very kind a total goofball always I I remember his, I can still hear his laugh in my head and he was always with a quick joke and playing pranks on people. Um, yeah, both my parents are, I feel very lucky. I feel they're both very extraordinary beings. And when I was four years and a half, my brother was born. His name is Ivan or Ivan. And he... Oh, my God. We wanted to kill, not to kill each other when we were kids, but we have very different personalities, even though we share 
a lot of interests, but I was an indoor kid. He was an outdoor kid. He always wanted to play and do physical things and jump around and how do you say tumbling around? Um, and I was like, oh, I want to sit down and craft. And also he's, he was a year and a half when my dad passed away. So it, our childhoods were very different, even though we came from the same place with the same parents and that informed our, our upbringing, I guess. Um, yeah, so we were a family of four. Then we were a family of three. And yeah, so I grew up with my mom and my brother. You've talked about your father's passing in some of the episodes so far, and you just told us a little bit more about it. But I want to know the impact that that had on you, both as a young person, because I mean, I can't imagine, but I would guess that losing a parent when you're so young that you connect to the way that it sounds like you did would have a really big impact on your childhood, but then also how it has impacted you as an adult now. Oh, that's a big, that's a big question. And also to start off that answering that question and circle back to why we're doing this special edition birthday episode my dad died when he was 31 years old, which is the age that I am now. And this year, 2019, in March, I'm turning 32, which is an age that he never was and never will. And that is all kinds of weird in many ways. Um and intense and powerful and sad and interesting and unbelievable. So when I was a kid and he got sick, I didn't really know what was going on. I knew he was sick. I knew he was, my parents had to go live in San Diego so my dad could have treatments and at that moment, I just knew that he was sick and both my parents needed to be away in order for him to get better. But I didn't really understand what cancer was. I didn't really understand what that entailed for my mom. I only knew that even though I loved my grandma and she was so nurturing, I only knew that I wanted to go to my home and play with my toys and be in my space and be with my parents so then when he passed away, I understood at that moment that he w I wasn't going to see him anymore, that he, I think I kind of understood the concept that people, when they die, they go to heaven, that I just felt, and now I can put it into words because for the longest time I couldn't put it into words, is I felt as if a rug had been pulled under my feet and suddenly the world as I knew it no longer existed. And that is not only regarding to a physical, the physical presence of my dad, that I wasn't going to see him or hug him or listen to his voice anymore. It was about how my whole world changed. My mom was not my mom. You know, she was depressed for many years. And then Suddenly, the family vacations that we had were no longer going to be. Everything changes, you know, with a loss at any stage of life. Uh, it comes to shift things and everything changes. But as a kid, at that moment, at six years old, I didn't understand how it was going to impact me at that moment or in my life. I just understood for me at that moment it was like, oh, I'm not going to see him anymore. And what I did was I, I saw that my brother was a baby. I saw that my mom was sad. And so I just decided something. No one told me, but something inside of me uh, made me become this tiny adult. And I became an overachiever and I didn't cry. I was class president and always involved in extracurricular activities and all of the things. And... I just kept going and going and going and going. And fast forward, 
I was 26 and I had not grieved my dad's passing. And at that time, when I found myself, I had already graduated college. I was in between jobs. The person I was in a relationship with was in another city, in another country. So it was the first time in my life ever, ever, ever that I had my hands empty. With uh, There was nothing on my plate. So my grief came at me like an avalanche. And I thought I was going to die. And I didn't know that it was my grief. I just thought I was going to die. Something's wrong with me. And then after I did everything I could with the knowledge I had at that time and the tools I had, um, I didn't want to go to therapy because I thought therapy didn't work. Because I'm like, well, therapy is for losers because uh, why do I need to pay someone so they can hear my problems? I can just go and do that with a friend. And I was very defensive about it. And when there was nothing else that I could do for myself, I was like, okay, I need professional help. So I went through a therapist and the moment I walked in, um, like in the first 10 minutes, I started bawling and she's like, what, what is wrong? And I'm like, everything is wrong. And in the first session, you know, everything came back to my dad's passing. So coming back to your question, how it affected me as a person was that I just repressed my grief and lots of emotions and traumatic experiences because I thought I couldn't, I needed to be strong and I couldn't ask for help. And I thought at that moment, disclaimer, I don't think that anymore. But, you know, I was in a mental state where I thought that asking for help was for losers. Crying was for losers. And I saw crying and asking for help as a sign of weakness, which now I see as a sign of power, because the more connected you are to yourself, the more powerful you are. It impacted me in many ways because I, I was, I grew up waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. I was waiting for death during 20 years. I thought my mom was going to die whenever she went out for an errand, whenever she was late to pick me up from school. I thought she was dead in an accident or something. So I lived with anxiety. And I, yeah, in my brother, like whenever he was like hanging from the monkey bars and if he fell, I'm like, oh, he's going to die. So I always thought that people were going to die all the time because, you know, that had been my experience. And until I was in my late 20s and after I went to therapy and I started to inform myself more about grief and open myself and cry all of the tears and investigate my feelings and my experiences, someone recommended a book to me called The Lost That Is Forever. And it's about a psychologist that interviewed many people eh, as grown-ups that lost parents when they were kids. And there, it's a super old school book that I had to order in and when I started reading it and she started explaining why she did that book, because there was no research on, th on that before, is that when kids lose a parent or have a traumatic experience at the age of five or six, which is a stage where they're realizing who they are and the state of self, it changes them fundamentally to the core. And it's not something like, oh, they're going to be sad or they're going to miss their parent or, oh, you know, they're going to remember this time. No, it's like, imagine if we're machines, like our motherboard, it's completely switched to another thing. And then the way we perceive the world is completely different. So everything, everything changes. And that is way beyond like your daily life. And if your dad picks you up for school or if you're going on vacation or Father's Day or that kind of thing. So yeah, once I could understand how physically, chemically, mentally, emotionally um, my being was shaken to the core, beyond the obvious, I could start understanding how that affected me as an adult. Wow. Yeah. When did you first take an interest in art? Sounds like you were a creative child, but 
when did it become like a true passion for you? Yeah, well, I was always crafty and my favorite toy was stationery, markers and stickers and labels and post-its and memo pads and all of those things uh, and paint brushes and paint and all of that. But when it became a passion was, I guess when I was in college, I went to school and I studied marketing. I have a marketing degree, which I love. And I had so much fun um, in college learning. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm really fascinated about marketing and my my favorite subjects were consumer behavior and product design, which was the whole creative part of how to build something and use it and sell it and the colors and the shapes. And I would always find myself craving more of the creative things, um, but my school was more uh, focused towards the business side of marketing than the creative side. So um, in my last, I had the opportunity to do an exchange and I went to Australia when I was at the almost end of my degree. And there I took marketing classes, but I also took a photography class, a black and white analog photography class, which was the first medium, like serious quote unquote medium that I started doing when I was a kid. And I would find myself spending eight hours straight in the wet darkroom developing film and printing photos with no bathroom breaks or eating or just like standing. I was consumed by it. And then I would go home and that was the only thing I could think about. And I thought I can I can make art every day, all day. And I and that's the only thing that I care about. And I it, wouldn't it be amazing if I could do this like every day and live and live off of it and just do this. And also the city that I was living in, Adelaide in South Australia, it was very, is very, it has an amazing arty, art scene, creative scene. So I was able to see many performances and theater plays and art shows and concerts and things of many different mediums. So I like to say that when I was in Australia is when I had this artistic awakening. And that is when I became passionate about art. I didn't know quite yet how I was going to do it or how to start. But that's when I, it became something bigger inside of me. And I started to pursue it in, in different ways. It started like, oh, I must have an MFA because mm -hmm. I didn't go to art school. And then it evolved into many things and... Now here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow you ended up in Portland. Can you tell me about that? How you got here? Yes. I ended up in Portland because I was dating a guy, a wonderful guy, that is also from my hometown, but had also studied abroad in we found ourselves back in our hometown. <laughs> we started dating. And when we were six months in into our relationship, he's like, hey, I, had a, I have a job offer from a company in Portland, Oregon. And I said, take it. Go. And he's like, you, you don't even know what it is. And I'm like, mm, you've always wanted to work abroad. So just take it and we'll figure it out. We don't have to split up or get married or anything. And yeah, just take it. He's a software engineer, a computer science engineer. So, and eventually when we were eight months into our relationship, um, he was moving to Portland and I was working and he wanted me to come with him um, at least on a road trip so I could see the city and just help him find an apartment or things like that, or just have a, like a trip together before we started to have a long distance relationship and I said, like, oh, I can't, you know, I have my job and I love my job and I cannot take that time off because we're in the middle of things. So I had to think, uh, like, do I want to stay here where there's no room for me to grow or do I want to take this opportunity to go on an awesome road trip and 
So we did, and we packed the car with all of his things and our dog Dansk, like a tiny spot in the middle of the backseat for Dansk. And we came here. I stayed for like three weeks. I helped him find an apartment. We fell in love with the city. And then off I went. I went back home again to start another job. And we were in a long distance relationship for a year and a half. I would come. He would go. It was really hard, but, you know, it was a big test. And we learned a lot about ourselves as individuals and also as a couple. And eventually we were like, well... If we want to give this a real try, we might need to be in the same city. So eventually I moved to Portland and we decided to get married. And here we are. And what is this gentleman's name? His name is Juan, the most Mexican name. (laughs) And now since I'm here talking about Juan and how his name, what his name is and how does it sound, this is a tip for all the non-native Spanish speakers, the way to say his name is not one, like number one. It's Juan. Ima- so imagine what I try to say to English speakers is imagine there's a W and an H, like who and like you're asking a question. Or imagine it's an Asian name and it has an H, Juan. That's my husband's name, Juan. I am so glad that you clarified that because... <laughs> I think the first time that that my husband Jonah and I had you guys over for dinner, I had already heard all about Juan. And I remember having a conversation with Jonah, like when you guys were on your way, being like, I don't know if I should like be that gringa who's trying to <laughs> like, you know, say his hey, name. Margarita. Re- <laughs> I feel like that. Or or who's like trying too hard to say the name the right yeah. way, even though I yeah. don't speak Spanish. Or is it like no, but you're making an effort yeah. to do the thing. So I'm really glad that you said that. Yeah, I Juan. mean, Juan, exactly. Juan. Juan, that's his name. Great. So you moved to Portland and living in Portland now. What do you miss about your hometown? My family, of course. Fresh seafood and ceviche 24-7. Sunsets. We have big skies and every sunset in Ensenada unless there's a storm and it's completely gray and overcast. But every day, every other day, it's a beautiful, beautiful sunsets with the most intense purples and reds and oranges that you can imagine. And I really miss that. And the ocean. Hmm. So getting back to your art, when and why did you start working with ceramics? I started working with ceramics because I there was a a few years ago there was a point where I wanted to do something something different and I was looking for volunteer opportunities and it turns out that with the search criteria this elementary school came up and they had some openings and I love working with kids um, so I call them like, Hey, I want to volunteer and I'm wondering what are your opportunities or what, what do you need help with? What do you need help with? And then the lady said, well, we only have, uh, an opening for, to be an opening for the, to be the ceramics teacher's assistant. And I could not believe my ears. And I'm like, I'll take it. And they're like, well, you like, do you want to hear about it? And I'm like, yes, but I want to do that. Like, I'll take it. So I was a ceramic teacher's assistant and I didn't know anything about clay, but I'm a fast learner and I love making art, especially if it's like tactile art. So I just, well, how do you say it in Spanish? Uh, I'm sorry, in English, <laughs> cacharlas en el aire, when you're like catching the ideas in the air. You no, talked yeah. about this on yeah, the yeah. show. No, but there's a, there's a way to say it in English. In Spanish, I would say, so I was catching them in the air. And that means that I was yeah, we learning empirically. You, learning as you went. Yeah, I was learning as I went. Providing the teacher with support and helping the kids. But I was also learning as a person myself 
the first term I was there, the teacher that I was helping, she wanted to, she loved science and ceramics, but she wanted, she had been wanting to uh, teach a science class. So she asked me if I wanted to take on the ceramics program. And I said, yes. And she's like, okay, let's do it. So then I was the ceramics instructor in the, um, in the school uh, as a volunteer position and I got to work with some of the most amazing kids. And it was really healing for me, too, because I was trying to be the teacher that I wish I had. So looking them in the eye, listening, providing hugs and snacks and dancing breaks and making jokes and pranks and being a goofball with them. And that's how I started working with ceramics. And then after I was at the school... Then I bought, I learned where to buy clay and how to work with it. So I would work at home. I would come home and just like be making things, like hand building things with clay. And eventually, uh, so I'm self-taught. But I also wanted to learn how to, it was a dream of mine to, you know, be pulling clay up and down on a pottery wheel. So eventually I enrolled in the um, community college for classes and that is the only thing that I've had where I've had formal education uh, with ceramics uh, wheel throwing because it's such a technical thing that you definitely need. It would be really hard and take too long if you didn't have instruction. And when I, since I started working with clay, even with the kids, I, um, I just fell in love with it. And the fact that I could build something and paint it and make it the shape that I wanted and decorate it, it's just... Like my chest cracks open and it gives me so much joy. You use a lot of bright colors in your work. I wish listeners that you could see where we are right now because we're in a room in Vanya's home. That's where we record. But in this room, it's a very colorful room. There's a carpet with a big, bold pattern. There's all this colorful yarn. Vanya's been making pom-poms in the middle of the night there's <laughs> yes there's, there's paintings with all these bright neon drips of colors and these beautiful sayings on them there's some of her very brightly colored ceramic work there's a box in the corner that's covered with pom-poms there's a brightly colored dresser it's a very colorful place your home is colorful your clothes are very colorful so I want to talk a little bit about what you love so much about color and what your favorite colors are oh my god Bright colors give me life. I I cannot tell you like, oh, it was this moment when I realized. No, they just give me life. When people ask me that tried question of where does your inspiration come from that they ask every artist, seriously, for me, it's bright colors. It, it, and it can be anything. I can be at a hardware store. I can be walking down the street. I can be in the supermarket. I can be... In an office, anywhere. And if I see something bright color, I just want to start making. And all these wild ideas start running through my brain. And this is something I've always loved color since I was a kid. My mom can attest that I have a few outfits that as I would wear them. And then they would go on the dirty laundry. And as soon as they were clean, I would wear them again. Like it was a perma outfit. And also Mexico, such a vibrant country full of textures and aromas and colorful food. So I just love color. And some of my favorite colors are neon chartreuse. I love it. I have many things that color. Um, What is, I feel like a lot of people don't know the color chartreuse. I do, but okay. Tell me, like, I want to hear how you describe what the color chartreuse is. So I recently in the last few years learned the word chartreuse because for me it was like neon green. Imagine you have this lime green and then you add the color yellow to it. So it becomes lighter and more brighter. And then you add a little bit more yellow and then a little neon green. It's just... Like if I didn't if I didn't know about colors and I'm definitely like I don't know all the Pantone colors, um, but it's like a mix between a neon green and a neon yellow. It's a very bright 
yellowy green mm-hmm. color. I will say you can have a muted chartreuse. Oh, you can also have a muted chartreuse. It's like a moss. Okay, lichen. It's it's like exactly like the like lichen, the yeah. color that the moss color. It's exactly like that color. That and now yellow is one of my favorite colors to wear and to have household thing, not ho- housewares. But when I was a kid, I hated the color yellow so much that every Crayola box, every crayon box I had, I would take the color yellow out and throw it away. I hated it. I didn't, it's like spinach and zucchini when I was a kid. I couldn't, I couldn't stand them. So, so, so what, so like if you were drawing a landscape, what color would you make the sun? I mean, I would use yellow because so the sun is yellow. So you completely throw them away. I would completely throw them away or use like orange or something, but I didn't like it. <laughs> But now I would say, yeah, that uh, chartreuse and fuchsia, hot pink, mm-hmm. neon orange, and teal. But it's a specific kind of teal. Not too green, not too blue. It's just like the right shade. Yeah. <laughs> and and rainbow. rainbow. Rainbow colors, like the rainbow colors all together, they give me life. What is your creative process like? So when you, sounds like you have a lot of wild ideas running around your head. How do they become reality? Or do they always become reality? They don't always become a reality. Um, how it starts is, I see a bright color. I start imagining shapes in my head. And then ways to apply those colorful shapes into things. It can either be a canvas or a totem sculpture or a garment. That's how it starts. And then I figure out, I, in the back of my brain, as I am eating, driving, uh, getting a shower, being a human and talking to other humans, in the back of my head, it's my it's always working on how can I make that uh, vision of color and texture into our reality. I'm thinking about mediums. I'm thinking about drying times. I'm thinking about size. I'm thinking about if it's going to hold together, if it's going to be too big. And then eventually, if I don't have a deadline for a specific project, I just start playing around with things. Like, for an example, um, like a month ago, I started, I really desperately wanted to make a pom-poms. And I had never made pom-poms and I love pom-poms. So I researched online, like, how do you make, what's the best way to make pom-poms? And then I went and bought some yarn skeins and suddenly it was like 3 a.m. And I was deep pom-poming or deep deep into pom-pom making for Spanish speakers. That is motitas, como el chicle, pero... You know, pom-poms, like little colorful balls uh, made out of yarn or thread. That you would see like on the top of a hat for cold weather. Correct. Right. So um, I was making all these pom-poms and then there was this opportunity to, I submitted an application for an event for Design Week and it got accepted. And now I'm going to use all those pom-poms for that installation. So if I don't have a deadline or a specific project, I just start making. And if I do have an upcoming art show or something, um, I yeah, I just like make a plan. Like, how can I execute this vision? And what is the is, what is going to be like the best? I don't necessarily think like what is going to be the fastest or cheapest or easiest. I think what is the best way that I can achieve my vision, (laughs) (laughs) which is not super efficient, Mm -hmm. but that's how my brain works. Yeah. So you've talked about, you do ceramics, you make pom-poms, you paint. It sounds like ceramics is kind of your main passion. Is that true? Yes. Or just making in general. And that is the thing that allows you to achieve your vision most of the time. A little bit of both. Making in general I would say making bright, colorful things is my passion. 
And ceramics is a medium that I found to be the most successful to achieve my vision. But sometimes there's um, a vision that I that I know I can only achieve in another medium, like paper mache or collage or mm. something else. Well, and it sounds like if that medium is something that you've never done before, you don't have any fear when it comes to like, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy a bunch of skeins of yarn and I'm going to make pom-poms even though I've never done it before. Yes, I I, I do that. I, um, yeah. Where does I, that fearlessness come from? I guess out of my curiosity and my, let's see, mm-hmm. let's see if I, like how, if I can make this, let's see, um, I grew up with a super detail-oriented mom that would put lovely notes on our lunches, even when I was in college, even now. And she would customize all of the things. How Okay, for example, there was, (laughs) when my brother was little, there was one time, of course, Sunday night, 10 p.m., and he's like, oh, mom, tomorrow I have to bring something about uh, outer space. And my mom is like, what? And he's like, yeah, I have to bring like some planets and and just things and have, I don't know, maybe like a diorama or something, uh, a poster about outer space. And it's something that I need to make with you. So my mom she, of course, scolds him and he's like, why do you always have to wait until 10 p.m. on a Sunday when everything is closed and you have to go to bed and this is due tomorrow? So next morning, she wakes up early and she made a galaxy out of pancakes. <laughs> out of pancakes? Pancake batters. Yeah. A pancake batter. And she made planets and stars in a UFO and an alien and she made a whole galaxy out of pancake <laughs> batter. So that's my mom. That's the person that I grew up with. So I I think my fearlessness, yeah, my fearlessness comes from my dad because he was a risk taker and he was like, where there's a will, there's a way and nothing is impossible. And ironically, he used to say, Everything has a solution and there's a way to everything but death. Mm. And ironically, he's not here anymore to say that, but that stayed with me. And my mom is super resourceful and creative. So those two things combined make me the person that I am. And I jump into things, not just with art projects, like this podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say how this came to life? Sure. So people have an idea of how I <laughs> well, operate. I'm still not sure how I get to life. So I met you doing a ceramics class at the community college. And we kind of became friends, but we didn't know each other super well during class. But it was just like, I feel like we we're supposed to connect somehow. So I went over to Vanya's studio. I saw all her work. And we talked for, I told my husband, I was like, I'll probably be there like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And I think I came home like four hours later. And he was like, where have you been? And then I had, we had you and your husband, Juan, over for dinner. And my husband and I are podcast producers. And I remember saying to you, you know, you were asking me about our work. And I was like, well, you could do a podcast. And then the next time I saw you, you were like, I haven't been able to stop thinking about doing this podcast. And I was like, oh, okay. I tell a lot of people about doing podcasts and a lot of people are like, oh, what, what, like I could do a podcast about something and no one follows through, but you, of course, you were like, this is a great idea. I've been wanting to do something like this. I love talking to people, which I had felt, you know, that first time we got together, the way you asked questions and you're such a good listener and you have a really good memory and all these things just seem to kind of click together that it was like, this is supposed to, this is supposed to happen. This is meant to be. Yeah. And to put another specific into what Annie is saying on our drive back home from Annie and Jonas, I wrote a guest list a potential guest list for this new podcast with 80 plus guests. (laughs) So like you had ideas right out of the gate. You weren't even trying to figure out what it would be about and who would you want to talk to. You were like, this is what it's going to be. 
Yes. Yeah, I love that about you. Oh, thank you. It's just something that comes from within. I definitely don't plan for it. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes drives people crazy. But my close loved ones have learned to let me be in flow and also to trust me because I deliver. Yeah. Well, and to encourage you to yes. to actually go do those things, it sounds like. Yeah, to celebrate uh, the some of the most uh, valuable, wonderful people in my life are people that celebrate and encourage my essence. If you could do one form of art for the rest of your life, what would you choose? <laughs> Don't put me in this position. I know. It's, it's, I can imagine this oh is painful god. for you. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I want to make all the things. There's things that I haven't even tried that I want to make. I know. <sighs> okay. Settle down. Calm the fuck down. Whew. I guess if there was, that was a question, right? Like if I could only make one kind of art. Yeah. If you could only use one. Medium. Medium. Okay. Um, I think, I don't think, I know. I would choose ceramics because it has the building element that I love of creating something out of nothing and shaping it whatever way. It has the tactile element of actually, well, building something with your hands, you know, that sculptural capacity. And it has painting. So I could I could live with if I could only do ceramics for my life from now on because I would be able to build things and I would be able to paint them. So yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought you would say. On the other end of the spectrum, what medium have you not tried yet that you want to try? Um, right at the top of my head... One thing that I would really like to try is the lathe to make mm. wooden bowls and embroidery or weaving. Yeah. So So it seems like you're very interested in functional artwork. I mean, some of your ceramics are decorative, right? But a lot of what you make is functional and you're talking about making bowls, wooden bowls, and then you're talking about weaving, which you can make things that are actually functional yeah although thinking about weaving I wasn't necessarily thinking of something that you would wear or use but mo mm -hmm. more like a wall hanging like a wall hanging with super chunky yarn colorful yarn and yeah. that kind of thing okay <laughs> um what was the first dollar you ever earned the first dollar I ever earned See, now this is great because you're going to get this. <laughs> like, you know the questions ahead of time. You know, know what I can ask you. I and know. you're still like, oh, uh, let me think. I'm just like, the, the immediate thing that came to mind, I would, and I think it's cute, but also I think like, what the fuck? Uh, because I was making seashell ashtrays. <laughs> <laughs> Like, um, like uh, I would take a clam shell mm -hmm. and, and then I would decorate the edges of the shell with miniature shells. And I would glue them wow. with um, hot glue. And I remember I opened... So, okay, I grew up watching lots of movies and shows and TV shows. Um from the US. So I would always, like I love the fact that they were like lemonade stands and garage sales. And that's something that doesn't really happen in Mexico. Many things happen. Many things sell food and things, but not in a come to my yard and go through my things like, oh no, like that, no, no, no. That doesn't fly in Mexico. So I remember I was like seven years old and I opened the doors, our garage doors, two big wooden doors. And I just sat there with my little table and my little chair with like three ashtrays <laughs> made out of uh, seashells. And like, why was the kid making ashtrays? You know, because of people around me smoked. And I thought like, oh, that's something that a grown up is going to use. Oh, they're well, going to. it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, they weren't definitely for myself. Right. So, oh, they're going to buy it because they have money. So. Yeah. But coming back to 
like a little after I was telling you that something else came to mind. When I was in first grade, I started making personalized cards for Mother's Day. Oh. So I and I would sell them. Right. And um I would my mom, oh my mom. My my mom always makes I mean she doesn't necessarily make fun of me, but she like tells it in a very funny and dramatic way where I would sit my classmates down and be like, "Okay, what do you want to tell to your mom?" And so I would just make like color and make these beautiful cards and, you know, as beautiful as they can be from a six, seven-year-old. And then I would sell them. And yeah, I made, since I've always loved card making and I'm very good with words and feelings. Um, yeah, they, they sold quite a bit. <laughs> Wait, did you ever s successfully sell an ashtray? Uh, no. Oh, no one came to your <laughs> no one, garage. <laughs> I mean, people came, but no one bought it. And I think eventually I like gave them away to my aunt who smoked a lot and someone else. Um, but yeah, I felt so entrepreneurial with my seashell ashtrays. <laughs> I love that. Um, describe the your favorite piece of art that you've ever made. My favorite piece of art that I've ever made is um, neon orange asteroid. It's my favorite piece of art because it's super bright in colors and it has polka dots inside. But my favorite part about it is that I made, I had a vision and it's the first time that I can successfully trace it's it just magic happened. I had a vision and I wanted to make something out of clay that was amorphous. And, but yet, you know, had like, it was like a colorful blob, but it had holes. So I just gathered some clay, made a big lump. I started carving it out. And then, you know, because ceramics, it was fired, it came out white. And then I glazed it with a super bright orange neon on the outside and the inside it has black polka dots and the clay is white. So you used underglaze to do the orange? No. Or it's oh it's real oh, well, it's it glaze? It, it's an underglaze, but it's an underglaze that the formula has glaze in it. Okay. So yeah. I'm looking at this piece right now. That's why I'm asking. And that is my favorite piece because it's colorful and it's just like a colorful blob. But the thing that I like the most, most, most about it is that it was is a true expression of myself in freedom. Mm. It's it's no uh, scenery in oil. It's no wood sculpture. It's no perfectly encompassed photograph. It's a colorful blob that just is. Well, and your your asteroids that you make are. I've never seen anything like them before. So they're very... That was the first one I made. They're very you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, they feel like an uh, uh, an expression of freedom. Mm -hmm. And just like, ah, color. They're very liberating to look at and to touch as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that is my favorite piece. We'll put a picture of that piece in the blog post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was a toy that you wanted... But never had. Power wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would be the answer, but I just want to see if there's anything else. I, yes. I really, really, really wanted um, a power wheels car. And I specifically wanted a Jeep. Mm. Um, it was, yeah. I, I really, really wanted it. Um, and also, there's other two things that I always wanted but never had. I wanted a dinosaur chia pet, chi 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 chia, the dinosaur one, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I wanted moon shoes. They were like the size of a shoebox, but they were plastic, super bright purple and super bright green, and they had like not coils but some sort of elastic thing, so you would put your feet with shoes on the moon shoes and strap them and then they would create kind of like a zero gravity yeah, effect. Like felt like you were walking on the moon. Exactly. Kind of oh, I forgot about those. Yes. Oh. So I wanted power wheels, moon shoes and um, 
Yeah, and and Chia Chia Chia, the dinosaur one. What is something that you're not good at? Oof. Whistling. You can't whistle either? No. I didn't know that. I can't whistle at all. Uh, that, that, is the, that is the only thing like that comes out. Mm-hmm. But that's it. I also cannot roll my tongue like a taco. And everyone in my family can and I can't. <laughs> I'm trying now, making a weird face. I can't. There is nothing that I love more. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and watching people who can't do that try to do it. I love ooh, it. Ooh, ooh, I can't. Uh, I, wow. Yeah, I'm okay. really bad at those things. <laughs> what was the last gift that you gave someone? I gave Juan um, a coffee tumbler that... For every day of the month of January, there was a, this was a Christmas gift. For every every day of the month of January, he could he could refill it with free coffee. So whenever he showed up at the coffee shop oh. with that tumbler, a really nice metallic looking tumbler, they would fill it up with, with coffee, coffee and it would be free. So it was like the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, that's great! <laughs> because it was a tumbler that it's like awesome for hot beverages and he loves drinking coffee yeah. and making his coffee at home and then we go run errands and he has his coffee in his tumbler but then he would just like show up to the coffee shop and they would fill it up with free coffee oh that's great yeah that's a smart idea what is the moment when you feel magical uh, when I'm in the shower using body wash that smells very good and I'm immersed in this cloud of steam and an amazing tropical smell I feel magical then and I also feel magical when I'm doing something that has a bright color Hmm. so that could be decorating cupcakes Cutting fabric for giant oversized pillows, painting an asteroid, or wearing an outfit with every part of the outfit is like a different color. (laughs) I've seen those outfits. (laughs) What was the best advice that you ever got? Only you know what is best for you. I want to ask you... When we have been in conversations and also during our podcast recordings, you often are looking for translations of or equivalents of Mexican sayings mm-hmm. and phrases. And so I want to ask you what some of your favorite sayings or phrases are in Spanish and then translate, translate them, them for in us. English. Because one that I really like is that catching, that catching is, things. That in is the one air. of my favorites. Cacharlas en el aire. Cacharlas en el aire, which means to catch them in the air. Them being is proverbial. It can be, yeah, it means cacharlas en el aire means that you are learning as you go and you are making the most of a situation. It's like when they put you on the spot and then you like come up with an answer or. So is it like making it up as you go along? Kind of, yes, but it's mostly also about being resourceful and figuring it out in your brain before you do something. Like if you are put into a situation where everyone knows what they're doing and you're not, you're just like, like when you're participating in a choreography and you're like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know what I'm doing or why am I here? And you're just like, and you're like, okay, doing this thing and doing that thing. And so, yeah, that's what it means. I also like... (laughs) <laughs> there's one that is like se choto el 20 and that means literally means they threw on the whole 20 <laughs> and that means when someone uses a lot of perfume <laughs> and they smell like you know you, you the can cloud tell walking the cloud the walking yeah, yeah. yeah and this can be it's mostly used in a negative connotation where it's like a really bad scent. And it's like, oh, shit. Se choto el 20. Mm-hmm. So that's one that I use very often. Is it ever used in the context of not 
not necessarily perfume where it's like, oh, they just went way over the top? Or is it really no, just it's, applicable it's, to perfume? Yeah, it's mostly about perfume. Mm. Um, and I use it a lot. I actually used, just used it last night. <laughs> One and I were at the supermarket and we were like looking for something, just um, walking really fast through the um, aisles. And then ooh, like we came into an aisle and we passed a lady and he, and he was like, shit, like you have to like kind of like recover yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, alguien se todo el 20. <laughs> and then and Juan was like, ya se. And then after we, we got out of that aisle, I'm like, oh, I really, really wish that no one ever understands that because it has happened to me that I say something in Spanish and it turns out this person, even though they're not Latino, they speak, they understand. But it's something, you know, usually like, ah, me pasas esto or like, right. but I, and I'm like, I really hope they don't understand that. So I use that a lot. I'm going to be very careful with the <laughs> amount of perfume I wear no, no, when no, I'm no, with no. you now. No, it's fine. <laughs> I love scents. But it's, you know, like, uh, it was like a musky. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Like, it wasn't a was good scent. Was it like scent. a grandma scent? Yeah, it was yeah. Like, a, like a bad yeah. grandma scent. Mm -hmm. So, se echó todo el 20, cacharlas en el aire. Dos, tres. It's not necessarily a saying, but it's an expression. So, when you say, when someone asks you, like, ah, how was that? And you say, like, ah, dos, tres means literally like two-thirds mm -hmm. of something, which is like, it's okay, but it's not like that big deal. Mm -hmm. Or if I say, if we're cooking and I ask, and Juan asks me like, oh, how much salt should, should I put in or how much flour? And I'm like, ah, dos, tres. Mm -hmm. She's like, ah. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. I, I, like think, I think those, I, those three are the ones that I use the most. Although there's many. Many, As many. many language, right? There's yeah. There's phrases like that. But yeah, but I often find myself asking people like, how would you translate this? Yeah. I want to ask you why you wanted to start this podcast. I know we talked a little bit about how we met and me saying you could do this, but why was that such an appealing idea to you? Because I wanted to connect with other humans in another way I wanted to try another format that wasn't face-to-face -face or social media or over the internet on email or something. And I've always had a knack for interviewing people. One of my favorite toys <laughs> when I was a kid was this tiny Fisher-Price uh, recording with a, that had like an attached microphone. So... I would always want to know all of the things like, how are you today? What did you have for breakfast? Um, are you happy? How are you feeling? So I wanted to reach out to other creatives and share the realness. One of the things that um, not prompted me, but like encouraged me to do this was that all of the podcast interviews that I've heard or even on TV shows or red carpets, it was always about like, oh, what is your inspiration? And tell us about this movie or this show or, or this project at work. But I always wanted to know more. I wanted to know, has that person been through a life-changing loss? Has that person ever been heartbroken? Has that person ever experienced heartbursting joy? Has Is that person happy where they're at? Do they want to live in another country? How were they as kids? What was a toy that they always wanted but never had? And I am aware that <laughs> I cannot ask all of those questions when I meet someone randomly at a party or over Instagram. So these seem, and I had been wanting to do something with storytelling because my, my two favorite things in the world are making art and connecting with people, like really soul to soul, eye to eye, like I see you. So this podcast came out of that desire to be seen and to make people feel seen, to connect through our mutual humanness. And of course, you know, I'm interested in, in people that have creative jobs, live creative lives, or have done something super badass. 
But I realized that behind the badass and behind the artist and behind the CEO, there's a human that once was a kid that now is a grown-up and that faces many challenges or situations in life, as we all do, but we don't get to see that face in the media or out in the world. Mm -hmm. So this is why I wanted to create this podcast to find that common thread that connects us all human beings and shed light on it and be like, here, we're all human. Well, Vanya, thank you so much for starting this show and for letting me interview you. You have a way of talking to people that really gets them to open up. And and I know you talk a lot about feeling seen. And I think you you do have a knack for making people feel seen and understood and connected. And it's a very special skill and not a lot of people have it. So thank you for putting those good vibes out into the world and sharing a podcast so that we can all feel a little more connected. Oh, thank you so much mm -hmm. for your time and your effort and helping me bring this podcast to life. And for this wonderful interview, I, this was a really cool experience to be on the other side. <laughs> now you can have a little more uh, sympathy for the people on the yes. other end of your interviews. <laughs> Great. Yes. Well, thank you, darling. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vanya Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby.